Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Alex George is the author of The Paris Hours, which is now out in paperback. A native of England, Alex read law at Oxford University and worked for eight years as a corporate lawyer in Paris and London. He has now lived in the Midwest of the United States for the last 16 years. We talked about why. He is the founder and director of the Unbound Book Festival and is the owner of Skylark Bookshop, an independent bookstore in downtown Columbia, Missouri. And by the way, he is on the Indie Bookseller Advisory Board for Zibby Books. Alex is the author of The Paris Hours, A Good American, and Setting Free the Kites. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Paris Hours, now in paperback. Hi, Zibby. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You are a beautiful, beautiful writer. I mean, the way you describe things, the scenes, the, you know, the interspersing of French and English and different characters' perspectives all sprinkled throughout and all the little details. It's really, really beautiful writing. So I'm sure you know this, but anyway, just wanted to throw it out there. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you. I tell you, I mean, speaking, I mean, no one can ever hear that quite enough. So it's, <laughs> it's always lovely to hear. So thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Would you mind telling listeners what the Paris Hours is about and also what inspired you to write it? Sure. So, the, so the, the Paris Hours is set over the course of a single day in Paris in 1927. And there are, it's really, there, there, there are four stories that are sort of told in alternating chapters and they cross-pollinate each other and they sort of mix, but, but each story has its own principal character. There is Guillaume, who is a lovesick painter. There is um, Soren, who is an Armenian puppeteer who performs puppet shows for the children of Paris in his own language. There's Jean-Paul, who is a writer who tells other people's stories because his own is too sad to tell, and he spends his time wandering through the streets of Paris looking for his lost daughter. And finally, there is Camille, the maid of Marcel Proust. And the story really began with her. I was reading the memoir of Celeste Albaret, who who is Proust's real life maid. And there was a story in there when, which she told about Proust asking her to burn all of his notebooks. And I, you know, I always say that, that, that authors are like magpies and uh, we're always on the lookout for these little glimmering things that we can pick up and, and, and use in our fiction. And that was one of those times this light bulb went off in my head and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And, you know, when people ask, well, where do your questions come from? Where, where do your stories come from? The question, the question that often begins it is something along the lines of, well, what if? And so I began thinking, well, what if one of those notebooks wasn't burnt and was saved? And then the next question that immediately followed that was, and what if there was a secret in that notebook that everybody thought had been destroyed but wasn't? And so really from that tiny little acorn of an idea grew this, this whole story. Wow. Well, you have so much, you know, real life people and places interspersed with these mm-hmm. fictitious stories, which I guess is obviously just historical fiction, but it was so neat as different characters sort of like came on and off the stage. It seemed very theatrical almost in the way you presented it. So mm-hmm. even with like Gertrude Stein sort of like opening up the door one day and, you know, not even realizing that she was a woman and that whole scene of negotiation mm-hmm. and, you know, actually going to John Paul Sartre's grave and like seeing what that was like. And I mean, all of these little bits and pieces, you know, it's, it was really, it it felt like you were back in time. And then of course you have like really traumatic, you know, this whole Armenian escape and how, I mean, that was like so intense and the woman having to bury her baby. I mean, you're like, it's like all over. We're everywhere from like, you know, the quiet, you know, studios in a in, in Paris to the side of the road. I mean, you just took us on, it's it's just amazing, this adventure that the book takes the reader on. It's really quite elaborate in terms of place and scale and everything. So it's, it's awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. It's, I mean, one of the things that, you know, when you set a book over the course of one day, and there are many times during the writing of this, when I asked myself over and over, why did I think that was ever a good idea? But, but one of the things that happens is that, is that in order to make it work, there are lots of flashbacks. And that's sort of what you're referring to with, with Soren's escape from 
Armenia and the genocide there and all of these harrowing things that happen. But and I mentioned so we talked about Marcel Proust a, a minute ago, and you, the, the 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 usual translation of his his novel is in search of lost time. Did I say John Paul um, Sartre, but I meant Marcel Proust? Did I just say that? Oh yeah, well I am the, such a moron. I'm sorry. I can see it in my head, and you said 1922 <laughs> and the whole thing, and I just said the wrong name. Anyway, sorry. But 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 so so Proust's novel is usually translated as In Search of Lost Time, which could be a good subtitle for this book in a way, because all four of the main characters are looking back to earlier times, and they're all looking to retrieve something that they had in the past. And so there is a degree of melancholy about the book, I think, you know, when 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 they are looking back, because, you know, none of them can really get there. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there are lots of emotions flying around for sure. Yeah, there's this sort of lingering, haunting sadness, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a thin blanket over everybody. I just wanted to read maybe a passage or so that I thought was really particularly beautiful, which of course I won't be able to find now that I'm on the phone with you here, but let's see. Yeah, I have it here. Marcel Proust. Like, I don't know why I said the wrong name. Okay. Well, this is just one random example from Rhapsody about a clarinet. And you said the clarinet, the first low trill fat with promise, then the solo ascent to the heavens soaring smoothly through the registers. By the time that ecstatic high note, limpid and beautiful pours into his ears, John Paul has made his escape. I mean, that's just so pretty. And then here again, he soars high over the city's skyscrapered silhouette, his for the taking. He hears the rumble of the Harlem-bound A-train and the orchestra's propulsive rhythms, low and sweet. He hears new worlds and the piano's blistering, arpeggiated, arpeggiated attacks. Images streak past like the onrushing traffic hurtling down the Arrow Street avenues. Perfect lines of shimmying high kicking chorus girls, their cherry red lips glistening in the spotlights. A liveried doorman striding onto the busy street, his hand outstretched for a yellow cab, elegant matrons pushing through the door at Bergdorf's. This is all a couple blocks away from here, by the way. So I was going to say, it's just down the road. Yeah, this is my doorman. And, you know, I can see Bergdorf sort of at the door there. But no, I'm kidding. I'm not that close. But this, of course, is his, you know, thinking back to when he was in New York. It's just such a, like, how did you, how did you find your style of writing? Gosh, what an interesting question. I, I mean, I don't know. I never attended a writing class. I don't have an MFA or anything like that. I mean, I'm an attorney by profession <laughs> and a bookstore owner now. I, I mean, just trial and error, really. I mean, this is my seventh novel. And, you know, writing is a craft like any other. And one hopes that you always continue to evolve as a writer and, you know, learn new new things, or at least learn not to do old things. (laughs) So, I mean, I never... I never sort of set out to write in a particular way. I mean, I like I like that sort of lyrical tone that that, that passage sort of encapsulates quite nicely, I guess. But it's not all like that. Yeah. I mean, some some bits that are a bit more gritty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that particular piece, I mean, it, it's you know, you, the the title of the chapter is Rhapsody, and of course, it's about Jean Paul listening to Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, and you know, I'm English, and I didn't go to New York until I was in my twenties. And really, you know, it's what Jean-Paul is feeling there is kind of what I used to feel when I listened to that music as a teenager and before I went to, to New York. It was it, it did encapsulate so much about what I imagined America and New York was like. And so, and you know, I, you know, I know you speak to hundreds and hundreds of writers all the time, but I'm sure that most of them will tell you, you know, fiction 
you may be making stuff up, but it's always at its best when there's a kernel of truth in there somewhere. And so, so I was just writing from my experience of, of that sort of yearning that I had about going to America and just like over in London or in Wiltshire, actually in, in the West Country where I where I grew up, you know, nothing could seem further away than New York. You know, and so I remember the first time I went just being stunned by the and so excited by the steam coming out of the, the middle of the road because it's like that was what it was like in the movie. <laughs> and so when you have the confluence of reality and expectation, it's always fun. So anyway, I'm sorry, that's a complete digression. No, and that's so funny because the other day I was literally walking across the street and this huge burst of like hot, gross steam, like with like right through me. And I was like, oh, this is so gross. And you're like, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think that that's an interesting, different perspective. (laughs) So how did you go from being a lawyer to a novelist or when did you, did you always love to write? Like, how did this all come about? I I didn't always love to write. I mean, I I wish I could tell you that I used to walk around as a six-year-old with a with a notebook and sort of jotting down thoughts on the human condition, but uh, that was <laughs> not how it happened. Probably just as well because I would have got thumped a lot. I, you know, when I was in my early twenties and I was working as a lawyer in London and in Paris, in fact, uh, I, I worked there for a while. Sort of how I know the city so well. I, I mean, I just read a lot. I was always a keen reader, and and I went through a period of time when I just read a lot of really terrible books. <laughs> And I started saying to people, well, I could do better than this. And finally, somebody gently suggested that I should put my money where my mouth was and try. And so not knowing any better, I thought, well, right, then I will. And so I started and I just began writing and not really expecting anything would come of it. And I had an idea for sort of the first three chapters of a book and I wrote those and then I just kept going. And a year or so later, I had a I had a novel and I worked at the time for a firm who coincidentally represented a couple of literary agents and I actually went to a party at the Frankfurt Book Fair and worked out which one of these one of the guests was one of the agents waited until quite late in the evening where she was she had had a couple of drinks and then went up to her and said oh Maggie I know I'm a lawyer but I've written this book and of course because it was at a party and because she was we were the host she said oh, well do send it to me. <laughs> And so I did. And she didn't read it, but she gave it to her assistant and her assistant read it and she liked it and she took me on. And then Q, we, we had an auction between HarperCollins and I forget who and HarperCollins won. And I published four books in the UK and I was sort of off to the races. And I wrote my first two and a half books while I was still lawyering full time. Yeah, so it's been quite quite a journey. And then when I moved to the States in 2003 and I've published three books here. So it's almost like it's a second career, it feels like, which has been been kind of fun. Yeah. So how did you end up then opening the bookstore? Like, how did you get where you are? Open the bookstore. Like your life seems like that's not where I might've pegged you from, you know, a couple 20 years ago or something. Yeah, no, no, me neither. I mean, if you told me as a, 20, if you told me as a 25 year old, that 25 years later, I'd be living in Missouri, running a bookstore and a, and a book festival. I mean, the first thing I would have said was, well, where's Missouri? And, and then I just would have assumed that you'd been hallucinating. So I got to Missouri because of a woman. Somebody actually I met in Paris when I was working there. I will try and keep the story very, very quick. But she lived in New York. She was American. and But she was from a little town in Missouri called California, Missouri. 
And we got married. We got married in New York, lived in London, and then we moved back to Missouri in 2003. So that's kind of how that happened. Wait, where did you get married in New York? On Downing Street okay. in the village. Yeah. There's there's a lovely converted coach house down there, which is very, very nice. So um, that was that was where we got married. And so 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 I've been here for 18 years now. And we're actually not together anymore, but we have two kids. And so, you know, I was not obviously going to go back to England. So I sort of hung around. And then the bookstore came around because I, back about seven or eight years ago, I began a book festival called the Unbound Book Festival, which was wonderfully well received by the community here. And it was clear to me doing that, that there was a real hunger for books and reading. I mean, this is, a, you know, Columbia is a university town. There are three universities here, lots of incredibly smart people, lots of good readers and writers. But there wasn't an independent bookstore selling new books. And so I thought, well, there's clearly a gap in the market. <laughs> so let's try and fill it, which we did. And uh, we've been open for three years now. And, you know, it's been a funny three years, as you might imagine. <laughs> With, with COVID, but we're still there and we're still going. And we're very grateful for it. So it's, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. Wow. But not, you're, you're absolutely right, Zibi. It's not exactly what I would have imagined for myself if you'd asked me 25 years ago. Although, I mean, not a lot of people's lives are necessarily exactly what they would have picked 25 years ago. So 
True enough. So maybe this isn't the most crazy story, but it's a pretty cool literary journey. I'll say that. So are you still writing? Are you working on a new novel now? I am. Yes. It's been slow going. I mean, the pandemic has, you know, I've spoken to lots of my friends who write and a lot of people. So it's interesting because a lot of people assume that with the pandemic, everyone's been writing off a storm because you know, they, they can't go out or they haven't been able to go out. So they just sit at their desk and they write. And, and I know some people that is true, but the majority of people that I've spoken to, the opposite has actually happened. And I think that the anxiety and the fear and the worry that they feel has just sort of crippled them creatively a little bit. And that's certainly been my problem. So, I mean, I am I am in the foothills of a new book, but I'm not going as quickly as I would like. It's partly because with, with the, the festival, which, we, which was online last year and is now going to be in person in 2022, and with the book, so there's a lot to do, but it's just, it's just hard to tell stories these days. You know, it feels that there are sort of almost like more pressing things. So, you know, and I was, I was on a panel a couple of months ago with Anne Patchett, and she was saying that she had, you know, she, she's just about to come out with a new collection of essays, which I'm extremely excited about. But that was, that was what she did. She, she turned to nonfiction rather than fiction, because again, just telling stories just didn't seem possible at the time. So, yeah, so, I mean, I am, but it's very slow. (laughs) (laughs) One rationale I've heard is that, you know, when, when truth is stranger than fiction, it's hard to turn to fiction. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. The problem is, is that readers are even more reliant on escaping through stories at the moment when authors are feeling like, why does this story I'm making up possibly matter when the world is like in this crazy place. But I mean, luckily there are a million books you can pick up at any time, but, but still, I mean, I think the hunger for stories has only been amplified lately. So that's a good, I think that's right. And, and, and certain there, there are times when, you know, as a writer, I've, I've sought refuge in my own stories, which has always been a joy. And the, there are times when, cause I, I write very early in the morning. I used to get up at five and write, and I would occasionally break my own rule and go on to the internet before I would begin and I would occasionally go on social media and to say right I'm off to Paris and then just that would all be all I would say and then I'd start writing and then two hours later I'd sort of turn the internet back on and people would be going oh you lucky thing when are you going and I was was like no no not actual I'm just (laughs) in my head <laughs> so, so you know, it does. I mean, it provides an escape for the for the writers as well as the readers. So, you always write in the morning. Yes, yes, and I try and carve out one day a week where I can write for longer periods of time. But that's not not going so well <laughs> <laughs> right now. And tell me about the upcoming Unbound Festival. So, having done so, twenty twenty was a bust because we because it takes place in April every year, and we had everything all lined up, and 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 it was really just at the last minute that we had to cancel it. But but in twenty twenty one, we just decided we weren't even going to try, which turned out to be a very good plan, and so it was all online, and that was actually. I mean, it wasn't the same, obviously, as meeting in person, but but it was it went very well. We had I think thirty three events and about sixty five authors, 
And Tracy K. Smith and Jericho Brown were our two keynotes, the two wonderful poets who just had this incredible conversation, which was wonderful. And we're going to be back in person in 2022. And the keynote speaker is, is Viet Tan Nguyen. And we're wow. very, very excited about that. So that's going to be great. But it's a festival that takes place in Columbia, Missouri. It's completely free to attend. Uh, we normally have 60 or 70 authors who come. And uh, we bring them in from around the country. And yeah, it's a, it's a good time. It's an insane amount of work, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't realize when I began this. I thought we could, oh yeah, this will be fine. We just get a few people come in, it'll be, be, be easy. But after, not, not, not the case actually, but it, it's wonderfully rewarding and it's been a wonderful way of meeting. So what's been fun is that I've been able to meet in person a ton of people who I knew online, a ton of authors who I finally got to meet because they came to the festival. So that's been terrific oh, yeah but it's just it's just a wonderful way of you know giving something back to this community it's it's a lot of fun and if people want to find out more about it or attend or anything where should they go so it's unboundbookfestival.com and we were sort of we're, we're just beginning to get the programming sorted for next year we always get the keynote in place first and then and then sort of program around it a little bit so we'll be announcing more authors uh, all the time exciting that's awesome so do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Well, I do. I mean, it has to, of course, come with a caveat that this is what has worked for me and everybody is different. And so what, you know, and and I, in, in the shop, we actually have, I'm very proud of, we have a big section in the shop for, I think we call it books on writing. And it's everything from sort of very abstruse, uh, tomes about writing dialogue to Anne Lamott and Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, all of whom sort of, it's, it's all good advice, but not all of it works for everybody. So you have to find your own way. So with that caveat out of the way, what I always tell people is write, find a routine, I guess, most importantly, and try and try and write every day, even if it's just for 30 minutes and, you know, find a place, find a time. And then when you've done that, defend it with your life. <laughs> and don't let anything get in the way. It's all about priorities and you have to make writing a priority. And there's a great book actually called The War of Art by Stephen Presley. I think that's his name. And he basically says, he does his best to sort of unglamorize it. And he says, just treat it like a job, treat it like anything else. And you have to, you know, you wouldn't not turn up for your job one day just because you couldn't be bothered. And, and so it's really, it's a very sort of down to earth, no nonsense kind of, advice which which a lot of people maybe don't want because <laughs> they, they might need be, they well, exactly they might need it so you know that, that that's always been my my approach because I've always had so many jobs going on doing so many things simultaneously for me it was very important to compartmentalize like that and so like I say I get up at five o'clock every day and I write for two hours and then I turn off the computer and then take my daughter to school and then get on with, with everything else that I do and that's pretty much how these books get written. I mean, it takes a long time to do it that way. But, but you know, most people, when they start off writing, are doing other things. And so, you know, that's why I think that advice might be helpful, because it's just, you know, you need to find a time and stick to it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's true what you said. You know, a lot of people who pick up books and they think, you know, we could do this or I could write like this or whatever. Maybe you could write that page, right? Like maybe you could write that paragraph. Or you could write, maybe you could write that chapter, but like there's a lot more to it than just that 
paragraph. So like, you know, you have to actually put in the time to do the rest of it. No, absolutely. And there's, there's the old the old saying about, what is it, 98% or 2% inspiration, 98% perspiration. You know, it is, it's a slog. I mean, you know, this, you, I mean, writing is, is lonely and sometimes it's boring and sometimes it's dispiriting. Sorry, I'm not, I make it sound so, so enticing, don't yeah. I? But, but, but <laughs> it's me not up. all... <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, nobody would do this unless they really felt the need to do it and the need to tell stories because it's hard work. I think when I when I first left my law firm, I was still living in London and, and began writing full time. I think my ex-colleagues imagined I would sort of get out of bed at 11 o'clock and then sit down with a cup of coffee in my dressing gown and tap out a paragraph and then go back to bed. (laughs) I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I was living in terror of abject penury and was sort of writing you know, quicker than ever, because I was just, I was just terrified. So, but you do, yeah, you just, you've got to stick at it and, you know, bloody mindedness and determination is is a more important quality to have at certain times anyway <laughs> than a you know a felicitous turn of phrase so are there any books last question then i'll let you go here but are there books you're loving right now or just books that like you always go to as your favorites in general so one book that i adore and and never have far away from me is is upstream by mary oliver which is a which is not poems but they're a collection of essays and there's a bit in the middle of the book which is sort of so it's a lit crit which I am less interested in but the but the first bit of the book and the last bit of the book are these beautiful beautiful essays about creativity and about nature and about being in the moment and every time I mean they're all heavily heavily underlined and there's so much wisdom and beauty in those pages so that's one that I adore and in kind of a similar vein, there's a wonderful book called The Book of Delights by Ross Gay, which we have sold a ton of in the shop, which is that sort of micro essays that he wrote. And he set himself a, a challenge from one birthday to the next to just to write every day about something he found that day that delighted him. <laughs> and it's such a simple idea, but, you know, he's Ross Gay, so he obviously does it in, in a beautiful way. And he's a wonderful poet as well. And just all sorts of interesting thoughts coming at you from all sorts of weird angles. And it's a real joy. And you can dip in anywhere. And just the the way that we sell the book is we just open it up to the back cover and there's a picture of him. And he's got this enormous smile on his face. And we just say, look, (laughs) you can read this book and this is how you're going to feel. And people go, okay. And they buy it. So so it's a a very warm-hearted, big-hearted book. Very inspiring too. And so... That's another one. And I mean, as you know, this fall is just a completely bonkers, bonkers season for amazing, amazing books. I mean, Colson Whitehead's book is out today. I think Harlem Shuffle, which is fantastic. Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dara is coming out shortly. And that's also amazing. And Lauren Groff's Matrix just came out. These are all unbelievable books. So there, there are, there are, you know, we're, we're having a lot of fun in the in the store. Although it is Tuesday morning, so as I'm yeah, sorry about that, bad very, timing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it's fine, but 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 it's going to be chaos in there right now because 
this September in particular, there are so many titles coming out every week uh, on a Tuesday, and we 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 put them all in the window. But we're, we're going to need a bigger window. Oh my gosh! <laughs> there are so many, so many titles. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Congrats again on your own paperback for the Paris Hours, well, and you. I'm excited to keep talking to you about ways to make Zippy books awesome and our collaboration there. So yeah, and really excited to be connected. Yeah. Thank you, Zibri. Great to see you. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 